0: Then, as I read uh, God's holy word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where, where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared uh, to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And not all of these were. Uh, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontish and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome and Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to us uh, from your word, uh, that we would delight ourselves in you and that you would show us what you would have for us here. We pray that we would be a church who who um, has the, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh at work in us. And we pray that you would give us uh insight to, to not only what that means but uh but what that doesn't mean. Uh, we pray that this passage would encourage us, would would lift us up, and that we would uh be believers in, in the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. There are uh in our world today a lot of of ideas of what the Holy Spirit looks like when he works, Uh, a lot of false ideas uh, with what the Holy Spirit looks like as he works. And there are a whole number of false crusades and and false revivals out there of people walking around pretending uh, that they are giving the Holy Spirit to, to people uh, and it has nothing to do with the biblical picture of what the Holy Spirit looks like. I remember uh, visiting uh, when we were dating AJ and I. I remember visiting uh, her parents' house, and her dad and I uh, would flip around uh, on television, and you would see uh, Crusades and whatnot from from Benny Hinn, and he's he's doing all of his hoopla and and slaying people in the Spirit, and he would he would lay on hands on people, and they would shake like wild men, and he would throw his hand out and these people would just fall over. And it was claimed that that this is what the Holy Spirit looks like. Uh, That is not uh, what the Holy Spirit looks like. In fact, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God in this passage, it leads right away to a preaching of the gospel. It leads right away to a a lifting up of Christ and and calling people to be saved. And we'll look next week at at Peter's sermon uh, more in depth. But we want to look today at at the coming of the Holy Spirit and say that when God gives the Holy Spirit, uh, he makes people his witnesses. God gives the Holy Spirit to, to make people his witnesses. Uh, the Holy Spirit is something that if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes and he dwells in each one of us. And we'll uh, show you some verses later on to, to that identify the Holy Spirit at work in, in all believers. But this is a, a momentous moment in the history of the people of God. This is a, a turning point, just as much as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a, a turning point, that God gives the Holy Spirit to his people uh, to make them witnesses. So first this morning, Pentecost is, is God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell uh, with his people or coming Upon his people. God's people are gathered, uh, and the Spirit actually comes down from heaven. Look at verse 1. Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were t- uh, all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Uh, just to give you a, a little bit of background, uh, Pentecost. Uh, in the Old Testament is called uh, the Feast of Weeks, uh, and it takes place 50 days after Passover. So 40 days, you know, Jesus was crucified on uh, over Passover, 40 days after Uh, Jesus was crucified. He had, of course, risen from the dead three days after and appeared to the disciples. But 40 days after, he ascends up into heaven. Uh, And we looked at that two weeks ago. And then 10 days after he ascends into heaven, uh, the Feast of of Weeks or of New Grain uh, would have been celebrated. That is Pentecost. It was one of the feasts, uh, much like Passover, where people would travel to Jerusalem. Uh, and they would at times travel from all over the world. Uh, Jews were, were spread out at this point through the Roman Empire. Uh, and they would return much like they returned for Passover. If they were able to, they would also return uh, for Pentecost. And so all the people are there celebrating this. And in the midst of this event, while the disciples are gathered in one place, the Holy Spirit actually comes down from heaven, And it, it sounds like a, a rushing wind, uh, probably not saying that it was a wind, uh, but rather it sounds like a rushing wind. If you've ever been outside on a on a very windy day and, and have heard wind rush through the trees or, or maybe make howling type sounds or maybe you've ever been in your house in a storm and everything rattles and, and you just feel power. When that wind blows, well, this would have been the power of God coming with audible sounds sounding like a rushing wind. And so then, the Holy Spirit actually rests upon all of God's people. Verse three says, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Uh, This is the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, where Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem and I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and make you my witnesses in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, Luke chapter three, John uh, the Baptist had said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with spirit and fire fire is probably a a symbol of the cleansing power of God. And so this flames of fire, these these flickering tongue like things land on the the heads of the disciples and and everyone is looking around and seeing it. In my house, uh, Morgan likes to play this little game called headbands and you put on a little band and you put a little card on your head and it sticks straight up and then she has to describe what's on that card and I can't see it. Uh, I know there's a card there because I put it there, uh, but I can't see what's going on. And so you can you can imagine uh, the disciples standing in this room, the flame you're, you're looking out into a group of people and the flames on everyone else and people are looking at you. You can't see it, but it's also on your head and the spirit goes into each Member Of God's people that's there everyone who trusted in Christ who had been looking forward to him had watched him ascend is there and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. This has other visual imagery in mind. You can think of many times in the Old Testament. How does God appear to his people? He appears to them like a flame. Uh, Probably the most famous one is Moses in the burning bush. And and God is there in that bush dwelling there in in this flaming fire that doesn't actually consume the bush. It is it is not a normal fire. It does not need fuel to sustain it much in the same way that God does not need food or fuel or energy to sustain him. And so that fire there is a picture of God imagery, if you will, this Fire descending upon them is a reminder, a a visible symbol of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit didn't need to manifest himself in this way. But in order that the people of God might know, he does this. They are to know that this is actually God coming upon them. In the Exodus, uh, as the people of God are traveling through the wilderness, through Mount Sinai, they, they build the temple. And the Spirit of God descends upon that temple in this giant cloud of smoke. And and during the night, this cloud of smoke was was a fire that would light up the path for the people of God. And Exodus 19 says uh, another time when God descended out Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Isaiah 66:15 for behold the lord will come in fire his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and his fury and rebuke the flames. We are to know that the holy spirit is truly god. Uh, we have uh, the teaching that is in scripture called the trinity. That God is one God, but He is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not some sort of force that is just active but impersonal. Uh, it's not like electricity that you can, you can plug into and you can manipulate it and get it to do with you what you want. Electricity isn't a personal being. The Holy Spirit is not like Star Wars where, where, um, If you know that science fiction, there is the force and the force permeates everything. And if you're a Jedi, you can tap into it and and make it do what you want. They lift things and do all kinds of of crazy things, almost like Benny Hinn pretends to to knock people over through the power uh, of the force going out from him. That is not what the Holy Spirit is, but the Holy Spirit here showing up in in this picture of fire says that the holy spirit really is god and and just as god came down in this picture of fire and dwelt in the tabernacle and and filled the whole thing with this this smoke and you can almost imagine smoke peeling out below the curtains and and rising up through the through the tent that they had just made and just I can't even imagine being the people of God sitting there in awe. And then in Exodus, it, it says, uh, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night. You can imagine uh, looking out at this tabernacle and, and this is in the day before electric lights. Right. And and you can imagine it being pitch black at night and, and you can see all. All of the stars. And then all of a sudden in this tabernacle, there is just the light of God's glory. This this flaming fire resonating out. It is no wonder then that the New Testament calls the believer the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit, the person of God in the Holy Spirit comes and dwells upon his people. He comes and and makes Himself one with them and rests upon them, giving them power. It says in verse 4 then that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak languages. Look at verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another in tongues. And the Spirit gave utterance. The, The coming of the Holy Spirit is the great promise of the Father. It's the great promise of the Old Testament, just as much as Jesus was prophesied about in the Old Testament, that he will come and be crucified and rise again from the dead. So also this moment, this coming of the Holy Spirit was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so they begin to speak in other tongues as he gave them utterance. And we're not to think of this utterances as sort of some kind of gibberish that it just bubbled out of them. No one could understand it. it the, the language here is is very clear. The the speaking in tongues is other languages. In fact, as they begin to speak to other people, the people begin to say, We are hearing them in our own dialect. Uh, Many times today, when when people practice speaking in tongues, it it becomes this unintelligible uh, gibberish. Rather, here in this passage, we are to think of the Holy Spirit giving them power to bridge a new language, something that they had never studied before. And just as the the prophets in the Old Testament were given out utterances that they could speak the word of God, so here the people are given utterances, given power to speak out what God would have them speak, but speak it in a new language uh, in something that they had never studied uh, in high school. I had to study Spanish to graduate. Uh, I don't remember any of it. Uh, I wish that I would have had a supernatural ability to, to speak other languages. Some people are just very good. They, they have an ear for languages. They can, they can pick that up. Many people, if they grow up in Europe, they, they grow up speaking two, three, sometimes four languages. But this is a supernatural moment where God enables them to speak a new language. Much in the same way in in the book of Genesis, remember when everyone was gathered around and they are building the Tower of Babel and everybody speaks one language? And what does God do? They are trying to build this tower. They're trying to to get up to God, to to make themselves as powerful and mighty as God. And God says, we're not going to have it. We're not going to let this rebellion go on. And so he makes them speak in different languages. And so they're out there doing their construction. And and one guy says, hey, Joe, pass me the hammer. And, and the other guy hears our uh, Because God made them speak another language. And, and Joe says, I have no idea what you're saying. And the guy that asked for the hammer hears him say something completely different. They could not communicate. But here God does the exact opposite. God is the God who governs his creation. And he controls language and controls people's understanding of it. And so the Holy Spirit being present enables them to actually speak the mighty power of God in a way that the hearers can understand in their own voice. This is not gibberish. You see, the main purpose of Pentecost then is to show God's people that the new covenant had been put into effect upon them. And we're going to take communion this morning. And a communion, when Jesus institutes it in in Luke's Gospel, He he takes the cup and He says, this cup is the new covenant of My blood. That, That Jesus Christ is the sacrifice of this covenant. His body broken for us. His blood shed out for us so that we can have forgiveness of sins. And this covenant is is not like the old covenant where people broke it and they wandered away from God and they needed to uh, symbolically go through the sacrifices year after year. This covenant has a one time sacrifice. And that sacrifice, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did begins to Come upon us and apply to us his his blood that was shed 2000 years ago covers us the moment that we believe. But the promise of the new covenant also is that in order to effectively apply it, in order to guarantee that God is with us, to assure us that that blood covers our sin, the promise is the Holy Spirit will come on God's people. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 33, For this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Ezekiel tells us what this new heart will be. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and make you careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit's coming was a showing to the people of God that the new covenant was here that God's work that what Jesus Christ had done had been effective and it comes on pentecost do you know imagine for yourself in the old testament celebrating the feast of weeks uh, what you do at the feast of weeks is you you go out into your fields into your crops you take the first part of the harvest you take you take the first fruits And you bring them and you give them to God. It is an act of worship. It is an act of of dependence upon God. Because if a storm comes through and devastates your crops, you have given all that you had out of that first part of the harvest to God. You are trusting Him that He will bring in the rest of the harvest, right? We planted a garden this year and, and you get those first tomatoes and you're excited about them. And imagine if I gave them up to God and then something happens. Maybe the dog gets into my my wife's tomato plants and he tears them apart and that's it. I don't have any more. And you can imagine having to sustain your life on crops and you give the first part of the harvest to God. The Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, The celebration of the first harvest because it's a reminder of all the promises that will be yet to come in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul in the book of Romans calls the Holy Spirit, calls the gift that we have, we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into you as a believer. He rests upon you from the moment of your salvation and it is a guarantee to you That you will get the full harvest that God has in store for His people. The, The full riches of the kingdom will come. And you will experience the future resurrection. And how do we know this? Because God put the first part of that. The Holy Spirit into you and I as His people. That's why it happens on Pentecost. And that's what is so important. And the Holy Spirit is not about this flim-flam showmanship that our world makes it today. It's about the power of God in each of us applying the work of Christ, showing us and affirming to us that we actually have the forgiveness of sins. Second this morning, Pentecost enables God's people to be missionaries and speak in the languages of those around them. So the Spirit coming leads to gospel presentations. One of the ways you can judge whether or not the Spirit is at work when you see someone claiming that the Spirit is there is, is the gospel being preached. Uh, there was a real famous revival not too long ago, uh, maybe five years ago now, down in in Florida. It made all the news. There was all of this healing, all of this uh, slaying in the spirit, all of these things. And and I, it got so big. I had people at my church coming and asking me, "Hey, I, I heard about this. Is this thing real? Do you think this is a a real working of God?" I'ms well. What what are they saying? What's going on there? And read some reports, uh, I think I might have listened to a little bit, and, and there was some kind of teaching, and, and they talked about God, they talked about Jesus, and then they gave the Holy Spirit some kind of third, weird, bizarre, secret, angelic name. It wasn't about the gospel. Oh, they might have said God, they might have said the name of Jesus, but it was not about, come to the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on Him, and you shall be saved. There may have been, I wouldn't doubt it, but there may have been demonic activity there. They were not exalting the triune God and proclaiming the Gospel. But when the real Holy Spirit comes, what happens in our passage? These people... Tell about what God has done in Jesus Christ. So look at verse six, seven and eight. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them in his own language. The literal translation could be in their own dialects. Uh, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The Bible is very clear here. It is their own language, their, their own uh, dialects that they are hearing this in. Uh, Galileans, people from the area around the Sea of Galilee, were, were general uh, blue-collar workers, fishermen, laborers, Jesus' father, a, a carpenter. They were not studied men. In their day-to-day conversations, they, they spoke Aramaic. And these people came from all over the world, and, and their local language, from wherever they came from, even though they were Jewish, their local language that they would speak would be different. It would kind of be like if someone came up and visited us today from Puerto Rico. Uh, they might speak English. They might speak very good English. But most likely, the language that they're most comfortable in would be Spanish. In the same way, some of these people might have spoke some Aramaic. They might have spoke even Hebrew if they were versed in the, the Old Testament uh, and could read it perhaps. But it wouldn't be the language they were most comfortable in. And suddenly, they hear the gospel. They hear the, the disciples speaking in this language and they go, aren't these guys Galileans? He never went to, to Bible college, to, to Torah school. How are they doing this? What is happening? It is the power of God. Second, tongues here in this passage are a sign to unbelievers. It's a, a tool that the Holy Spirit uses to take the gospel to other people. Many churches today, when they pretend that they are practicing tongues, will will make it a sign about themselves. A sign of the, the Spirit of God in them and what God is doing for them. Tongues are supposed to be to reach other people, to bring the gospel. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, In the law it is written by strange tongue, Uh, In the law is written, By people of a strange tongue and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign for not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are out of your minds? This actually happens in Acts. The people go, oh, these guys are drunk. This is chaotic. Many churches today that claim to to practice tongues don't even follow the basic biblical instructions, let alone we could set aside the issue of whether or not the Holy Spirit always uh, works that way today. I do believe the Holy Spirit could still enable someone to speak a new language, perhaps a missionary, help them even in preparing to, to learn the language. But the point is that the Holy Spirit is here so that people can understand the gospel. and That is the same way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. That is the same way the Holy Spirit wants to empower us, help us, enable us to take the gospel to other people, to share it. You see, the Jews and the converts to Judaism that had gathered had actually come from all over the world. You look at f- verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Verse 9 gives us a list. Parthians and Medes and Amalites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, part of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors of Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and, and Arabians. We... We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's a lot of names. I put a slide up with a little, uh, a little map. Uh, you can see it's actually pretty much people from all over the whole known world. So when when Luke says they came from all over the world, he's, he's not talking. Of course, there weren't people from from South America or tribes from from North America or or uh, South Africa or something like that. But he's he's talking about the whole region of the known world. Uh, Parthia is all the way over in in modern day Iran media as well. Uh, Mesopotamia, modern day uh, uh, Iraq. Cappadocia, Pontus, Figria, all areas in, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, this is prime area for the Roman Empire. All the way down, Cyrene and Libya. I mean, they are just everywhere. And they have all come to Judea. I mean, it is, it is prime time for sharing the gospel. It, it, it would be like going into to New York City, And and going downtown, and and I'll bet you, if you were to go to Times Square today, I'll bet you you could hear people speaking at least three or four different languages. And you can go to markets in in New York City or in in, uh, the Bronx or in other areas of New York City like Brooklyn. And you can go to places where there are people from all over the world And and maybe they speak some broken English and you can communicate. But but imagine all of those people and their need to hear the gospel. This is what was going on. And all of them are right there in this moment in Jerusalem. The principle and it's a principle that we see even today that God equips his people to reach out. God is the one who is sending his gospel into the world. God is the one that that cares about all of these people hearing the word of God in their own language. And he enables the people of God to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like today, God enables missionaries to, to take the Gospel and to communicate it. And the Holy Spirit goes with the preaching of the Word of God. You see, who is it that builds the church? It is Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus Christ, who is now ascended up into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God, how does Jesus do it? He gives the Holy Spirit to His people and God has given us the Holy Spirit. And we need to believe that the Holy Spirit can enable us to share the gospel. Maybe in something as simple as giving you courage to talk to someone that you have never talked to. You and I need to trust God. And we need a, a vision for what He is doing. That He is spreading the gospel He is seeing that His name gets out, that people would come to saving faith. And the the cool thing is, He uses us to do it, but He equips us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. I wonder if the Holy Spirit had not come on the people of God, on those Galileans, would they have talked to any of those other Jewish or converts to Judaism that day? Probably not. People have a tendency, and we see this in our culture today, people have a tendency to stay with people who are like them. You know, you hang out with people who think the same way. You talk to people who speak the same language. We, it isn't always natural for us to cross cultures to talk to people. If someone's different, we don't always approach them. That can be whether they speak a different language. That can be whether they're a different race. That can just be sometimes whether they're in a different socioeconomic bracket or they live on a different side uh, of town. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people, he begins to bridge those gaps because we are all made in the image of God. And the Lord is concerned with seeing that his name would get out to all people. And that's the kind of vision that we need as a church. Whether it's sending out a missionary to go to Africa or whether it's going into downtown York or talking to neighbors that live right next to our homes, God wants to take the gospel into all of creation. And he puts the Holy Spirit in you to make you and I the vehicle through which he does that. In the Old Testament, the temple was in Jerusalem. And it stayed there. And people had to come to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. In the New Testament, the people of God, not the building, but the people, become the temple of the Holy Spirit, where God's presence dwells. And so when we gather here today, we are the temple. And we should invite people to join us so that they can worship in the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But then as we leave, there is a very real sense that we take the temple with us because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And we are to take the message with us, because the Lord equips us to be witnesses. Finally, this morning, Pentecost is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, it's a fulfillment just as much as, as the cross of Christ is a fulfillment. So the people here, they they want to know what's going on. Verse 12. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying, What does this mean? Peter's whole sermon, and we'll look at this next week, Peter's whole sermon is to explain this is what it means. In fact, he says in verse 33, speaking of Jesus, Therefore, Jesus, being exalted at the right hand and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What does it mean It means that Jesus Christ died, rose again, was exalted up into heaven, and now we get the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. But in verse 13, some of the people then are mocking and they're saying uh, the others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This must have been a very disorganized situation. That all of a sudden, people are speaking all of these languages. You hear someone speaking in a language you don't understand, and they're excited about Jesus, and it just sounds like gibberish. And so people look and they mock and they say, Go home, disciples, you're drunk. Jesus says, "We're not" or I'm sorry, Peter says, "We're not drunk." It is it's only 9 a.m. That would have been uh, the third hour of the day. So Peter begins this sermon, first obviously saying, "No, we're not drunk." And then he quotes Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32. And in these last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit uh, and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the days of the Lord come the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's this wonderful phrase in Joel, and, and, and Peter starts with this: And it shall be, or, and in the last days it shall be. The last days is a phrase that's used over and over again in the, new, the Old Testament to talk about that time when the Messiah will come, when the new covenant will happen. when when promises will begin to be fulfilled. And Peter is saying, this that you see here right now, the Holy Spirit coming, this is that which was promised. Hebrews starts out the book of Hebrews long ago and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, Hebrews doesn't mean, oh, just recently, within the last few years, finally. He means within now, the last days, those, those wonderful promises of the coming Messiah. We have seen those things happen. God has spoke in his son. Peter is picking up on Joel and saying, God has finally brought the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God that we were promised, the, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, it has happened. There's this wonderful little incident in the book of Numbers. And, and there are elders, 72 of them, gathered on Mount Sinai with the people of God. And, and Moses and Aaron are there. And the Spirit of God comes down on Mount Sinai and it just comes into the elders it just goes into the leaders and two of them start prophesying and Joshua the guy we know very well from the the, the book of Joshua comes and, and says to Moses essentially you know tell, tell these guys to stop you know they're, they're just running around and prophesying and it's a bit hectic and chaotic and and and, and Moses says would you that all of the people of God prophesied. In other words, the Spirit has come down on these 72 elders. Two of them are prophesying. And and it's not so much just about the prophecy that Moses is focusing on. Moses is saying, in effect, wouldn't it be awesome if all of God's people had God's presence like this? If he was dwelling in all of them, sealing all of them, radiating out his glory through all of them. And Joel says, writing, you know, almost a thousand years later, one day this will happen. And Peter says, what you're seeing now is what was promised. This is happening. I want to ask the question, and this is pretty much the major application and and instruction out of this passage, but should I look for Pentecost today? That's actually the fourth uh, point there. Should I look for Pentecost today? Some believers run around looking for regularly experiencing Pentecost, and they want to see it just like this here. Power, excitement, chaos, uh, bizarre speaking in tongues, people running around and, and looking like they're drunk. And they say, when we see that, that is the Holy Spirit. I even had one time a Pentecostal pastor be completely honest with me and say, I know That there are people, when they gather with us, that they fake the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is real. Sometimes we run around looking for power and excitement and, and things that are not the true markers of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some people today say... Once you're saved, you need to have a, a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. And this will come later and he will come with power. And, and so there becomes these kind of two tiers of Christians. There's everybody who gets saved. But then there's the ones that, that make it to the next level, that have their Pentecost experience and speak in tongues. And oftentimes there's this, if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't moved to the next level. First off, in the book of Corinthians, it tells us that not everyone gets the same spiritual gifts. First Corinthians twelve eleven, all these speaking of all the people that have the spiritual gifts, various gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Each believer gets a spiritual gift. But even in the day and age where tongues were active, Paul says, not everybody gets tongues. Even in a day and age before the New Testament was written and there was still prophecy, Paul says, not everybody gets prophecy. Not everybody becomes a teacher of the word of God. Not everybody uh, has the gift of uh, of extra uh, faith or the gift of giving. There are different gifts. And the Holy Spirit, guess what? He's God. He can decide who He gives the gifts to. There is not this second blessing, later, super spiritual tier of moving to the next level where I get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon all believers. Every believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit when they come to saving faith. 1 Corinthians 12.13 For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So, back to the question, should I look for Pentecost today? Should I look for a repetition and a a repeating of the events and an ongoing and it's going to be exactly like it was right here in Acts 2? Let me ask the question a different way. Would you look for a re-crucifying of Jesus Christ? Would you look for Jesus Christ to come again and die on the cross because once was not enough? You see, the coming of Christ was a prophecy that was building up and laid down in the Old Testament and then it happens And now all the benefits of what Jesus did come to us, right? When I believe in Jesus, I get covered with all of that that payment for sin that he made that one time. In the same way, Pentecost is that promise in the Old Testament that comes to this point and it's finally fulfilled. And when I believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I get the benefits of that, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit within me. But the actual event itself is, is just like the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That one time was sufficient for all the people of God. And this is not to take away from the Holy Spirit. This is not to minimize the Holy Spirit. What is the mission of the coming of the Holy Spirit? Acts 2.21 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that no one can confess that Jesus is Lord apart from From the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit active today? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit works in the gospel. The Holy Spirit enables us to come to saving faith. The Holy Spirit cultivates all of these wonderful gifts in us. Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14 says in him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So, you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and seals you. It is is like a signet ring from God the King impressed into your heart, assuring you, I will receive the inheritance. When we bought a house, we put a down payment on the house. And it was to tell the bank, we are serious about paying this mortgage and we are going to pay the rest. It was a, a certification, if you will, to the bank that the rest of the money would come in. The Holy Spirit is a down payment into your heart. It is a certification to you that all of the good promises Salvation, your inheritance, your future resurrection, dwelling with God forever, all of those things will be yours. And God gives you now the Holy Spirit and he keeps that promise. He can no more cut you off from his people than he could cut off the Holy Spirit from being the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit will accomplish His mission in you. The Holy Spirit wants us to take this wonderful good news and bring it to the lost. And He equips us to that end. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just pray that You would uh, motivate us this morning Uh, that we would delight ourselves and and just say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, you are the third person of the Godhead, worthy of all worship, worthy of honor and glory. And you come into our hearts and you dwell in our midst and you make us the temple of the living God. And you seal us for, the, for our redemption. Apply the blood of Christ into our hearts. And you do it in such a way that, that you make sure that, that the Father and the Son get glory. Lord, in our day, we have so made a mockery of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps some of us not believing or not seeing that the Holy Spirit is real. Perhaps others of us making it all about showmanship, all about exciting, powerful things that aren't really the power of God, but the power of man. Forgive us, Lord. But Lord, we ask that you would teach us what is the true power of the Holy Spirit, that you would go out as we share the gospel, that we would see that wonderful miracle of conversion where where you are actually there bringing a dead sinner to life. Lord, that is Your work, transforming us, changing us. Oh Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, be active in our midst. Not in a way that we might brag about ourselves, but that we might praise the living God so that people would call on the name of the Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen.